0: amen take uh, take your bible if you would and turn to dr luke's gospel chapter 22 uh, as we continue working through the passion week a lot of times in the church calendar we come to uh, uh, the holy week and we end up dashing through it and uh, from uh, palm sunday and then now then it's uh, Uh, Thursday or Friday with the crucifixion, then we're in Easter, and then we never visit this week again, it seems. And uh, by doing our study through the Gospel of Luke this way, it's giving us a lot of time to to just kind of sit down, think about, eavesdrop, listen, and see the dynamics of everything going on. I've entitled the message, The Farewell Address. The Farewell Address. On May the 12th, 1962, uh, one of America's true heroes uh, gave his farewell address to the cadets at the West Point Academy on the Hudson River. Uh, General Douglas MacArthur, uh, in that address, and I have a copy of it here in my hands, he focused on three words, duty, honor, and country. And he told uh, he told it that day, these three hallow words, duty, honor, and country, uh, reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, and what you will be. They are your rallying points. Um, it, uh, it is quite a speech. If you've never read it, you can find it online, but uh, it uh, is an amazing a uh, speech given by the veteran general, uh, he's, he was 82 uh, two years old at the time he gave it. Uh, he had been director commandant at West Point at uh, a portion of his career. And uh, uh, he is a man through life. My father, who was a, a, a military academy grad, graduate, Um, I I heard so much about him that uh, I reverenced him even before I knew anything about him because uh, of my father's words about the general. I mean, he was thought of that highly. And uh, his his closing uh, words are incredible. Let me just read a little bit of it here as he addressed the cadets. The shadows are lengthening for me. The twilight is here. My days of old have vanished. Intense. They have gone glimmering through the dreams of things that were. Their memory is one of wondrous beauty, watered by t- uh, tears and coaxed by caressed, uh, and caressed by the smiles of yesterday. I listen to them, but with thirsty ear, for the witching melody of faint bugle-blowing reveille of far dr- uh, drums beating the long roll. And in my dreams, I hear again the crash of guns, the rattle of musketry, the strange, mournful mutter of the battlefield. But in the evening, but in the evening of my memory, I come back to West Point. Always there echoes and re-echoes duty, honor, country. And today marks my final roll call with you. But I want you to know that when I cross the river, My last conscious thoughts will be of the core, the core, the core. I bid you farewell. MacArthur, uh, he would live two more years, and then he would pass. Well, on your sheet, on a day far more important than that day, Jesus gathered with his beloved disciples to enjoy really what amounted to a farewell meal there in the upper room. And we've spent some time talking about that. Uh, he would be dead and entombed within 24 hours and put it in perspective I don't know what you'll be doing 24 hours from right now but at this moment in Scripture within 24 hours the whole suffering and crucifixion and all that will take place and he will be in the tomb by this time tomorrow so we're standing right at the shadow of his death and he's gathered with those he loves his beloved disciples to enjoy what really is a farewell meal looking forward he leaves them with some final words now Luke doesn't include all the things that happened (coughs) there John adds some things and when we see the uh, composite together of the Gospels we get the uh, fuller idea of all went on in the upper room the upper room discourse the last Passover becomes the first communion. But he, Jesus leaves with final words. And if I can summarize it to kind of hit you like off of MacArthur's duty, honor, and country, I think the three words that Luke presents that we can say is Jesus says, Sovereignty, greatness, and danger. What did he say there to the disciples in his farewell? He said, so, said Sovereignty. He said greatness, and he said danger. His words instruct, they comfort, and they guide you, and they guide me as we live our days for Jesus. Sovereignty, greatness, and danger. Three final words from Jesus preparing you to live in a world that is hostile. To live in a hostile world. I remind you, they killed him. And they may come for you. They may come for you. There are those that have given their life for Jesus. We pray for uh, Pastor Saeed in uh, Iran, in who's uh, been held in prison and tortured. Uh, for what? For doing what we're doing, church planting. Planted a church. They arrested him, and they're torturing him. And he has a young wife and, and children. And, uh, and, the, and it's not just always over there. Things are swirling and changing so quick where people call right, wrong, and wrong, right. And if you're on the wrong side of that line, how quickly it changes because of the darkness of the hearts of men and women. And we've seen that. A quick glance at church history, we see that. They killed him, and they may come for you. They may come for me. Three words. First word. Uh, is sovereignty. God's plan includes the evil actions of men and women. Verse 21 through 23 if you have found Luke 22, we'll find our text. And let's, uh, let's read these first couple of verses. Verse 21, but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be was going to do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Let's stop at this this point in, this, these final words, the first word is sovereignty. God's plan includes the evil actions of men. Jesus identified at this meal that the betrayer was going to be one of the 12. Now, that was brand new information for them. He had talked uh, for a while now that he was going to be betrayed, handed over, and, and so on. And, and so he, the disciples knew that he had enemies, the religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priest and all that increasingly were looking to kill him. So they said, yeah, that's right, we know that. But now at this meal, at this intimate moment, he looks around the table, and he said, one of you. Now, they never suspected Judas. They never. I mean, it was a complete shock to them. It was a shock to hear that. Now, imagine how shocking that would be. One of you that eats with me is going to see about my death. Wow. Shocking. They never thought it was Judas. In fact, he's he the only one from uh, Judea in, in the gang. The rest are Galileans, but they trusted him. Why? He, was the, he carried the money bag. Look, if you had any question about anybody, don't give him the bag, you know. Uh, maybe you had a family, uh, a, a sibling in your family, right? They could never save money. They always spent it all. You know, like they would go on vacation and spend it on the first day, they're twenty dollars, and then they'd be bumming quarters the rest of the time. I like, don't give that. Don't give Dale the money; it'll be gone. You know, like they didn't look at you to say, "I think it's him." You don't let no. It shows he had the money. He is holding the tr- He was the treasure. There you go. Am I right, Greg? Right? That's how. You, boy, you better make sure that's right. And they never suspected that. And they're shocked by that. But you have to say, and just underline, Jesus is fully aware of all that's happening. He's in control of all the events. He is not being overwhelmed by circumstances that are beyond his control. He is exactly at the right point, at the right time, in the plan of God. And he's in the upper room, and in 24 hours he's going to be gone, dead, killed, and it's not like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Do you know an omniscient God never said, I didn't know? He knows all things. Even in the mystery of his incarnation, he is God-man, and he knows exactly what's happened right on time. And he exactly knows which one of them uh, betrayed him. The others didn't know that. You see the Lord, and Luke presents this all the way through. You see the Lord completely in charge, right in control. It's not everything else going around. He is marching according to the planned events. You see, B, God's plan is at work, for these are the events that have been ordained. And you, you see it exactly that. When the, when the Lord says that, in verse 22, for the Son of Man, that's his Daniel 7 reference to himself, his favorite title of himself it was the Messiah pointed to but for the son of man goes as it has been determined There it is there's something going on here that's beyond the immediate circumstances certainly it wasn't like luck or chance or circumstance, or anything like that—it was the divine ordained plan of the ages, and Peter got that clearly. The scriptures teach this clearly, and uh, in fact, I have on your sheet. Look at Acts 22. Peter uses this in this first sermon, speaking in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Look at the way he uh, unfolds just that, um, and he's preaching away on those that killed the Lord of glory. We'll get back it up to verse 22 in Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus. Now notice, underline it, this Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. I mean, you did it. It was the plan of the ages, and it's not—it's not because uh, God has some great telescope and he looks way down the uh, the avenue of time. He's eternally he looks down and he goes, like, oh, I see what's happening." No, that when you see foreknowledge to be or foreordained, uh, foreknow know is to be ordained. God has established in His plan the free will acts, evil and righteous of of men and women. Uh, and God's plan includes that, and God holds men and women always responsible, even though it is the plan of God and plan of the ages. He doesn't say, like, well, that was the foreordained plan of God, therefore they're not responsible. I mean, Judas isn't responsible. Satan's not re- No, they are responsible. They acted freely and willingly. Judas said, I will betray him. Give me 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus' is saying, word to him was... Uh, was was what woe to that man in another place it'd been better that that man was never born i heard a misguided sermon one time when i was doing my doctoral studies in philadelphia where the the the, the pastor actually preached judas in the heaven and i was horrified frankly i was horrified and uh, at the door i may have told you this at the door he had recognized me from somewhere and uh you know the old shake the hand at the door business you know and he asked me, happened to ask me what I thought of his message at the door. Oh, I didn't want to say, and I, but I did. I had to. I said, I don't think I would have preached one in heaven who Jesus said had been better that he'd not be born. Oh, have a good day. Well, you too. You know, I, I mean, what were you going to say? I mean, he went out and repented, but it was not a repentance, a genuine repentance. And, uh, and so Judas is culpable. He's responsible. But, uh, and, and, but you get a glimpse of the plan of God, and hence his sovereignty. So the first word in this upper word of the final di- address is sovereignty. This is sovereignty, and that is that God rules and reigns as king. It's not a democracy. He doesn't ask for a vote. We're not voting among the angels. What should we do? How many? Let's, let's form a consensus you know, nobody leads anymore. It's just like a groupy thing. No, no. God's this is the way it is from eternity plan. Here's the plan. And here it is at this moment. We're looking back at it two thousand years ago. And God tells us the only book he ever gave. And, and and we're to be like, wow, the word of God teaches us. Now how it all works, God's divine plan and human responsibility. I, I gotta tell you, it's mysterious. Right? I mean, I don't have to say, God, you have to explain this to me. God would say, like, I could explain it to you, Terry. You still wouldn't get it. Now, look, I, I'll tell you, you know how it is? It's, it's name, rank, and sometimes social security number, right? I don't understand a whole lot of things. You know, I, I'm still trying to figure out calculus. I don't even know how to spell it half the time. I should ask you. You were a, you were a math major. I just found that out. Wow. You know, like, I, anyone understand electricity? You know, like, it's flowing through the cop. It, it is. Yeah, hold on to it. Mm, yeah, it is. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I don't understand a whole lot. Gravity. You know, we talk like we know like, we, You know, they don't know really what. I don't. We don't know. We know that much maybe. And it's diminishing. You reach a certain point. It's not like, you know, like my son says. Well, someday, Dad will probably have to post your name on here. Hi, I'm Terry. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> So, like, all right, now explain to me the sovereignty of God and how God has a plan that includes the free will acts of men and women and yet holds them responsible. I go, like, yeah, I can see the Scriptures clearly teach that, but I can't explain the nuances. All I know is God is righteous and just. His plan is sure, and so on. And on your sheet here, this is all part of God, and we spent a whole sermon on his counter-conspiracy plan. I mean, the conspiracy of Satan was to destroy Jesus at the cross. This is his moment. But in and through it all, God has a counter-conspiracy going on, and he's going to use that to be the death of death and the end and defeat of Satan there on the cross. Wow! And this is God's gracious, eternal plan to save sinners through the death and resurrection of His Son. Nevertheless, ne- nevertheless, Judas, as I said, is still responsible for his own free will and sinful choice, and we are the same. Never use the sovereignty of God for an excuse for sin. Never do that. Never. Well, I had to do it. No, no, watch your words at this point, because you're going to excuse yourself. You know, not too many years ago, I remember that in our generation. The devil made me do it. Everyone said, oh, the devil made me do it. Laughing. Didn't they start that? Some of you are like, what's that? You know, the devil made me do it. And they blame it, blame shifting. Well, uh, Adam did that in the garden, the devil. But then he blamed God, right? The woman you gave me. God, it's your fault. You know, we're, we're experts at blame shifting. I mean, after all, you're sovereign. And it, it, I mean, it's right in front of me. And it I, it didn't have to be, and that I'm just a victim. You know? <laughs> Victimism. Boy, that's big in our day, isn't it? Everyone's a victim. Holy cow, my, oh my. Uh-uh. Don't buy that. God's sovereignty never diminishes man's responsibility. Never. There would not be a hell in the lake of fire. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Jesus pronounces woe on him. That's an old English word, woe. He would, Judas would stand in judgment for God. I'm not sure all that that word woe means, but I can tell you this, it can't be good, right? When the when the, when the creator of, of all, the holy sovereign redeemer goes like, looks at you, not you, Joseph, but looks at goes like, woe, that can't be good. Now, I mean, uh, Larry, you talked about uh, you got the look, and you know, I thought about that this week, you know. Yeah, so he goes, no, I didn't get an answer, but I got the look. And we're going to talk about that later here when Peter fails in, in accordance and in denying Jesus. And Jesus looks across and sees, I've, I've stood over there in Jerusalem. And there from Caiaphas' court, he got the look from Jesus and how it must have broken his heart. Broken his heart. Whoa, whoa, that can't be good. Not good. Well, perhaps... Just perhaps you have suffered at the hands of evil men and women. Uh, you've been the blunt of words. You've been cut off. You've been, you know, rumored, milled, and maybe worse, fired from a job and a position. I'm here to say that the Lord knows all about that. He does. You're not on your own. God has promised to work even through it, to work His mysterious and wonderful will out through the evilness of men and women he's sovereign he rules over all i love that verse in psalm 103 uh god uh, reigns in the heavens his sovereignty rules over all psalm 103 i think it's verse 19 and uh and and uh, and so on that uh, john 3:16 and romans 8:28. 28 uh, i've you know i quoted enough from uh, john piper's book <laughs> <clears throat> I thought I'd just bring it in today, you know, like this taste and see. My son-in-law's first one, my daughter, um, had it, Faith and I got it, and I read it, and then I started reading it slower, and, and uh, he had something to say about that, and I thought I'd just read uh, in, the, in the segment on 10, uh, he talks about 10 lessons I learned from my father. as John Piper. His father was a traveling evangelist in a day when that was more common, And uh, he had an opportunity to speak at his father's 80th birthday uh, banquet. And uh, Piper said that these are words that he had planned to speak at his father's funeral. But he was even more delighted that he could speak uh, of his father and honor him uh, even while he was living at this point. And he ties together, at least in a couple of these, and I'll read a few of the extra because they're so, they're like extra. Oh, they're so good. Uh, but he ties together this, um, this idea of Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God works through all the mix of that. We see it here in the upper room. And in, 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 uh, in back to Piper. Piper said <clears throat> uh, the ten lessons I learned from my father. Number one, when things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. He writes, Romans 8.28 was as prominent as John 3.16 in our home. I learned from it the lips of my Father. God works all things together for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This laid the foundation for my life. This is the way of God. Now catch this. Life is hard. God is sovereign. God is good. Isn't that beautiful? Life is hard. God is sovereign. God is good. Let me read just a couple others of these 10 lessons. That was the main thrust. (laughs) Number two, God can be trusted. My father never murmured at the providence of God, not even when God took my mother at the age of 56. The loss was immense. The crying was long, but God was never doubted. I, in God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 5611. Number three, people are lost and need to be saved through faith in Jesus. My father was an evangelist. His traveling absence from two-thirds of my life carried one main message to me hell is real and it's terrible and jesus is a great savior mother never hinted that the absence of my father was anything but a glorious privilege for us to support it never entered my mind to resent it nor does it today couple more number 4 life is precarious and life is precious don't presume that you'll have it tomorrow don't waste it today it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 I heard my father say these words many times while preaching. They were frightening words to me and good for me. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27.1 He knew, and therefore I knew, too many stories of young people killed, before they were ready to meet God. It was a serious world to grow up in. And the last one I'll read, and then I've got to read this. Number five, a merry heart does good like medicine, and Christ is the heart satisfier. My father was the and is the happiest man I have ever known. In a sermon he, he uh, preached entitled, Saved, Safe, and satisfied he said he is god and when you fully trust him you have all that god is and all that god has you cannot be otherwise than satisfied with the perfect fullness of christ for all the passion of heaven and hell it was the happiest home i have ever known just a few more <laughs> words i keep quoting for that so i thought i'd bring that in Romans 828 and 316 are prominent in this home. Remember, no matter what happens, it is always God's will that will be done. As he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sovereignty. The second word is greatness. Sovereignty, greatness in danger. Greatness, verses 24 to 30. Jesus sets the example all the way to the end he served unto his death in verse 24 Luke writes a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest and he said to them the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you rather Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I among you as the one who serves? You are those who have stayed with me in in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a future kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the second word, greatness. Greatness is not what the world thinks. It is completely upside down. And I remind you that God himself is the measure of all things. Webster may have written a great dictionary, and we often go to that, or at least we go to the digital form of it uh, on, our, on our computers when we, we want to know the meaning of a word, right? Uh, but uh, it is God who gives the meaning and definition of all things. And man's opinion uh, may be all messed up. You think about it in our current culture, uh, it is a death culture, and the 60-some million babies have been swept away with just it's your body, do what you, God, God has a wholly different opinion on that. And on all sorts of other things, on what is marriage and what is life and what, what, is, what are all these things about. And God alone defines it, not the world. The world may have their own definitions, but they're screwed up and upside down often seems to be the case. And what the world thinks of as greatness is not. And God defines what is truly, truly great. Well, a like an old argument, the disciples we see them in our text here bring the topic up again: Who's the greatest among them? Now, some of us grew up uh, watching Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, <laughs> announced to the world, and we were like, ah, the audacity of this guy! I'm, you know, like I'm the greatest ever heavyweight boxer in the world. Blah blah blah. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Go like, wow! That's what arrogance, what pride, you know, like this kind of a thing. And uh, and they're having a discussion here. The twelve among themselves, who who's the greatest among them? You have to admit, it's unbelievably calloused. They finally got the idea Jesus is going to die, and, and right in the midst of this conversation, coming off this whole evening, there's this old discussion that resurfaces again. You know, and that happens, isn't it? That happens in families. There are like certain topics that uh, we never quite finish on and we never quite agree on and it kind of lays underneath here, but now we're going to get together again and we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner and you're going to have a house full and all that. And uh, Don't let Aunt Jean bring that topic up, please. Because there it goes again it's it's like throwing a match on on it's underneath the surface, and it's going to light up again. You see that in the life of the disciples in, in, in matthew twenty verse twenty twenty eight they're they're there talking about it. We see it several times It's kind of like beneath the surface all the time they're following the greatest one who ever lived who's serving he's the greatest servant, and they're like hey you know I'm, I'm the greatest." It's so incongruent to me. It's uh, callous. And churches do the same thing, you know. Church families will have discussions. There will be differences of opinion. Maybe it's eschatological differences. And if you're really in the note, you'd really be reformed. If you're really in the note, you'd be post-mill. If you're really in the note, you know, you'd, <laughs> you know we do these kind of things. And the, it, it, this kind of a flashpoint, starts it off again. There we go again. And it's, it's the same thing. And that's what's going on here. It's almost unbelievable to me at this night. I mean, of his betrayal and coming death, and they're focused on what jockeying for position. It's like my kids when we take them to school. We drive them to school. They drive Faith and I crazy. Like I get to ride right shotgun. I got shotgun. I got shotgun. I call it no. Yeah, more, more fights going. Like who is going to sit? And Faith finally got some system down where you know, you know, you know, <laughs> like they all want to ride shotgun. You, that's in the pastor's system. you be like, shotgun, what's that? You, you all know that, right? Yeah. Jockeying for, that's what they're doing. They're yelling for a shotgun. They want to sit next to Jesus. They want to be thought as the greatest. It's sickening, really. Sickening. It reeks with the flesh. Self focused. You know, perhaps, and, and we, we don't know why, again, this surfaced. Uh, I suggest you may have a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, the, the seating arrangement. I know when we have a meal, faith is really thinks that through on where folks ought to sit. You know, like in a wedding, a wedding. It's it's really important who sits where. Where are the families? You know, we've done some weddings where it's like, "Ah, just show up," and I'm like, "Oh, it's a disaster." Sometimes i come in with a bridal party late. I don't even have a seat. This happened. It's, like it's crazy, though. No, I have to think it a little bit further and put this family and those together. Well, in that day for Passover, it was probably a U-shaped table. And that uh, was low. We talked out there laying back on, a, on cushions. Not Leonardo da Vinci around that table. No, get that out of your mind. And, uh, and the host would sit at one place, and there, there was a whole pecking order. You know the 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 the, uh, the chief, the host, and the first, and then the second, right, left, right, left, right, left around the you, See, and the host would sit in the middle of the U. And so you you just didn't show up and uh, hey I got shocked. No no, there was okay. And so the Lord might have said, okay Peter you're there John you're. There. We know John was near him because he's leaning on him. So John is close and the rest around. And you know the one down at the end go oh, ha, come on you know, so that. It might have been that. I could see that right at this setting. The other thing is, the Lord is saying, someone at this table is, is the betrayer. So that begins a whole conversation, right? Well, can't, not me. I was, I was there that first day, Peter said. I've been around here the longest. No, I, it's not me. And then you're kind of like, no, no, it's not me either. No. Because they're saying, is it me? Well, it's not me. You know, you see that conversation in the gospel. And so it's sort of like, no, no. I mean, look at all that you did through me. And I really, at the Lord, I can never be the betrayer because, I mean, I've done preaching. I've went out with a 70, you know, and this, and they're giving all their, I can see that too, right? So the whole thing surfaces again, and it's sickening, really. It, it, it is. And, uh, and I, I, I say this, I just suggest that, oh, the shame they must have felt later as they thought back on that conversation. Don't, don't you think? Have you, have you ever done that? Where you're like, oh, why did I open my big mouth? Oh, oh, oh. And now the Lord dies like he dies. And he's buried. And now it's, now it's later. You know, time has passed, Pentecost. And they're serving the Lord. And they're thinking about that last meal and the last oh, oh, that was, oh, that was, a, oh. You know, you know sometimes like that? I do that. Uh, sometimes it's better off we just say less. You know, I've noticed people, sur- the survivor, the, you know, there's some people of faith, oh, they're a survivor. They seem to be like forever. They make it through everything. And we go like, oh, what is it? They hardly say anything. They always ask you your opinion. They very, very seldom go out and make their statement of where they stand. And, you know, I think maybe, that's, maybe there's a lesson there in wagging our tongue and all that. Oh, they must have felt, even though they were forgiven and all that, oh, what was, oh, they must have agonized through that. Well, in B, Jesus tells of the world's view of greatness in verse 25, In a word is power, right? In our day, it's the billion, billionaire uh, businessmen, you know, the Bill Gateses of the world, and this kind of, oh, they're the, they're the high and the mighty, and and that really is greatness, or they're the, uh, the glamour, the beautiful movie stars, or the cultural icons. Oh, there's something, you know. Or, or it's, uh, uh, maybe it's uh, uh, athletic skill, uh, uh, or those that have the most money, or power, position, all of these kind of things. That's the world. It's being on top. It's it's being one of these beautiful, wealthy, influential. That's our world's measure of of greatness. And Jesus goes, ah, wrong. Wow, that just cut all the legs off. Uh, Now wait, this is God's opinion now. Okay, like there's not like an appeal. Lord, I'm not sure you're right on that. Are you, you sure? No, that's God's final answer to that. And yet we're all on, so we're on this treadmill like, oh, got to get ahead, got to get, oh, get ahead, got to get ahead. Get ahead of what? Get ahead of lettuce? What are we getting ahead of? You know, like, what is what? what is it? She goes, no, it's upside down. It's completely, it's completely the opposite of that. In clear words, Jesus turned the whole power chart upside down. I remember when uh, in seminary, when our, my professor was teaching this passage, he it, it's common in, a, in an organ have an organizational chart. I mean, you have to organize, right? I mean, that's important, and so on and so forth. And you have all the layers, and it gets narrower, and now you've got vice president, now you've got the CEO, and he's accountable to the board, and, and but you've got this pyramid like this all the way down, right? And he said what Jesus is saying is, the, God's teaching on greatness, you flip it over, exactly over. That's... And then the guy down at the bottom who was at the top, if he's got the right heart, he's the greater servant of all. Because he has more people to serve. They don't exist to serve him, though he's asked them to do a job, no doubt. Or she has. But he is given to serve them. He ought to help equip them to do what he is asking them to do. And it's, that's that servant leadership organization that he's talking about here. And so the one who served the very most, in Jesus' word, he or she is the greatest. It's serving. So what is greatness? It's serving. It's serving. It's serving. It's not being served that reveals true greatness. Jesus had earlier washed all their feet. Earlier that night, John 13, verses 2 to following... Uh, sets that whole example and he points to himself as the model of service in verse 27 I remind you he was the greatest one in all creation in all the universe he stooped to serve what an example a student is not above his teacher and he would very soon serve giving his very life within hours Jesus tells us that serving is greatness. And he warns them, stop thinking like a pagan. That's, the, that's how the world views it. That's what we saying here. The world views it just the, the guy on top. Everyone exists for him. You know, there's a, a common expression with government service where they, they call it that. Public service. Uh, I think in a lot of venues it's sort of changed, though. It's, it's not public service. And the attitude is, is is that the populace, the public, exists to serve the the elected or the appointed person. That we exist for them. And uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Even they may call them a minister of finance or a minister of this or that. They are, in fact, to serve the populace, the people, to be the great. It's not the other way around. Serving is greatness. Stop thinking like a pagan. Take the lower spot of service and serve in humility. Philippians 2.3. Count others more significant than yourself. Putting others first. Having a cheerful willingness to fill any post. Promoting happiness and holiness. That is greatness, Jesus is saying. That is what greatness is. And it's not something else. Don't be confused. And one other thing, serving is not the path to greatness. It is greatness in and of itself. Some will think, well, if I take the medial low spot, then if I do that well, then I'll be guaranteed a great spot. No, you still don't get it. That may or may not happen. You may get more responsibility, truly, but the whole idea is of serving and having a servant's heart is greatness. My father used to talk, teach us about work, and uh, he'd say some funny things. I said something to Faith yesterday. Funny how those quotes come back, your things your father saying, like, where was that in my memory? My father said, uh, oh, I love love work. I could watch it all day. (laughs) You know, and we would watch that, right? These kind of things. He would say things like this, you know, a job well done uh, is its own satisfaction. Whether anyone sees you or you get paid or not, the fact that, and know how how great it is or small, just whether it's cleaning toilets or behind or dusting, or the menial things that need to be done and doing them well is its own satisfaction. And he's right in that, is its own reward. Just like when we serve and we do it from the heart to please the Lord, no matter how menial it is, it has its own reward that Jesus says is greatness and he sees everything we do in him we live move and have our being that is greatness that is is wonderful really so if you want to know who the great people are you want to know who they are you know, like, go, <laughs> you look at the tabloids at the grocery store forget that most of that's a big come on anyway if you want to know who God thinks the great people are Look for people who are serving in some of the lowest places, right? In our church, there are folks that set up, tear down, right? It doesn't matter, you know, what their rank or education is, they're serving. Folks that pass out bulletins at the doorway, people taking care of business at the changing table in the nursery, sitting down to talk with others that seem needy, who seem to be complaining, teaching Bible study in prison, showing hospitality to foreigners, sharing the gospel with street children and, and others, working as a missionary or pastor in places where most people hate the gospel. Gospel, teaching little ones in a little class with few in number. Wherever you find such ones, you will look, uh, uh, they will look like Jesus with the true greatness of a servant's heart. Get that right. Doing it, doing it unto the Lord, doing it with joy, doing it with happiness as to Jesus. That is greatness. Why? Because D, in a future day, in the kingdom if you know christ there's a spot at the table for you i was glad for that growing up mealtime was one of the highlights of my day and in our family with seven kids mom and dad eventually seven. i remember when the rest came along we 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 ate in the dining room every night because we couldn't fit in the kitchen you know i mean the kitchen table is for you know wolfing down cereal and out the door at different times uh, school and all that but uh, dinner was always a big affair, and was always in the dining room, and there was always a place at the table for me. I said, I know right to this day where my place was, and uh, my brother next to me, and all the way around, you know, in the great conversation, a place at the table. You see, in the future, that's the picture here, in the kingdom, you will have a place at the table with Jesus, can you imagine that? And you will rule and reign with him, but not today today is not the day to be the big maha today's the day to serve and to find the most people you can serve that should be our attitude lord make me a servant make we sing that with the kids make me a servant may 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 people see jesus in me what is the most menial position not like well i ought to have a higher position in my church there i mean after all i'm a i'm respected in the community. Well, that's wonderful. We're glad for that. But dig in and roll up your sleeves. Get your nails dirty. You know, do the most. That's greatness. That's what Jesus. That is greatness. Every day, I urge you, deliberately, intentionally, give yourself to serving Jesus in big ways and in little ways. That's what Jesus. That's the picture of greatness. Now just, uh, just one other thought, he, the text said, take the younger person's place. Just to explain the cultural difference in that, because it's no longer true here in the West. The culture of the, mid, uh, the Middle East is, uh, they, they honor age. And you know, the idea of the older you get, you have ought to have wisdom, because you've made enough mistakes that you know where the potholes in life are, and so you're, you're honored. And so, uh, the, uh, we're, we're just the opposite. We're like, get rid of the old folks, let a child lead us. How stupid is that? I mean, that is stupid by any other definition, right? It's a culture we live in that worships youth, and worships, and it's idiots, it's idiocy. And uh, in, in, in the mid, mid, uh, Middle East, Uh, we've seen it uh, that even in in gatherings in uh, Muslim homes uh, where they sit around the table it's kind of funny in the the family room if you will we have a big uh, couch and the TV maybe a fireplace and a couple other the chairs are all around the perimeter wall that's where they are they're just kind of like wow that's kind of strange and the ladies are there and the men are together and the older men sit all the way around the outside and the young bucks, they're the servants. They bring in the little teas. They bring in this and that, the little thing. And they serve. And they don't just shoot their mouth off. They don't say anything. Why? They take the humble, the lower spot. And the, the aged one. They, they found out when we gathered there with our family for the big Friday meal that I was the patriarch of our family and our kids and all that. They treated me like I was uh, Abraham. Gave me a place at the floor. We sat on a four and eight. That was something, and it was a spread. It was a spread. Fish and everything they kept filling my. The, all men kept filling my set next to the honored elder Grant. He looked like a granddad, and they said, "Surely you must be retired now, right?" That's, like, yeah, that's the first time I ever heard someone ask me that. You must be retired, like uh, no, no, not no. <laughs> you know, they're, they're half of them are wealthy with uh, petrol dollars and all that that comes from the. Uh, State of Qatar and all that business, but uh, the younger serve the older. The younger take the lower spot. That's so. When you read that, you're like, "Well, how are, the younger are supposed to do?" That's what it means. Simply, in our day, take the younger spot, serve the older, whether whether you're great or not. Take that in attitude and in heart. The third word, first word, sovereignty. God's plan includes the sinful acts of free will agents who will give an account. But God's will will be done. Second, greatness. Greatness is serving. The final word is danger. There's danger in them, thar hills. You ever hear that? Jesus told that sin is closer than we usually think about. That's what's going on here with Peter and the rest. Look at verse uh, 31. You know Peter's name? uh, uh, his, His name was called Simon, and the Lord gave him the name Peter. And so, if you're from Philadelphia, like faith is, you might call him Rocky, 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 right? Rocky. But he doesn't. He goes by his Hebrew name, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you uh, like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, that's repentance, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Wow, what a statement. False pride. Pride goes before a fall, right? I can handle this, Lord. I remind you, a lot of times Satan tempts us in areas where we think are strong. Because we let our guards down in that many uh, castles in the Middle Age, it was the strong point of the castle that the enemy was able to breach the castle and defeat them. Why? Because we don't need to worry about that. That's our strength. And they came. And Peter here, oh, look at the st- false sense of strength. And Jesus uh, again, knowing all things, he's not like, well, Peter, I think this is going to happen. I think you're going to have a tough time here tonight. Nuh-uh. Now look how exact it is verse 34 jesus said i am going to tell you something peter the rooster is going to crow not crow this day until you three times you're gonna state you don't even know me peter can't hardly believe how about that i mean sin crouches at the door of our heart it's there we are more vulnerable than we ever suspect and we go like lord i think i can handle this not we can't Every moment, we're dependent on the prayers of the Lord. We're dependent upon Him. And to go going on in our own strength. We're disasters waiting to happen. And uh, Peter thought he was safe and strong enough to stand, but he wasn't. Jesus, knowing all things, told Peter that he was the focus of Satan's attack. Satan was attempting to shame, I think, the, uh, the Twelve and, and, and so on. I mean, you have to admit, he got Judas, right? He uh, he, filled Judas. So let's go after. Him. In fact, uh, he's after all of them. But uh, and the Lord pulls back the curtain and allows them to see the great cosmic war of the universe. A lot of times we don't think we're just flesh and blood and bone and what we can see, and we forget there's a great titanic battle going on in the heavens. Uh, Ephesians chapter six talks about this this great warfare and to put on the whole armor of God and all that. And we go like. I'd never even think about it. You know, like, it'd be like soldiers being out there. We had MacArthur's uh, Three Words, right? And, and all the battlefield, and a soldier walking out on the battlefield like, oh, 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 there's a war. Oh, I didn't know we we're fighting. you know, like, you're dead meat, you know? And uh, we don't think about it. And here he pulls it back. And look at, at one, Satan desired to destroy him. That's the metaphor of sifting like wheat. That farming, thing, he wanted to destroy him. And uh, if he could, it would have wreaked havoc among the twelve. I mean, after all, he was the leader. Satan does the, the uh, attempt to devour Christians, First Peter 5, 8. He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not devouring uh, non-Christians. I mean, he already has them. He, he wants to de- devour and consume you through temptation, through wrong thinking, through wrong values, through wrong choices. He'll ruin you if he can. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, Peter tells. Notice that's that same Peter who, who wrote that, who uh, is in the focus here. But notice how God sets all the boundaries. Take comfort. It's like God saying, Satan, this far and no further. Remember the book of Job. I take great comfort in this I do. God sets all the boundaries, physical and spiritual. I mean the length of a day, the distance to the sun ninety three million miles the, the the length of a day twenty four hours wouldn 't it be awful if a day was like uh, eight hours and thing'd be going around we'd be you know how about if it was like a week long? you know like we 'd be going to bed again, oh the sun 's still up there, you know oh. It's, uh, it, it works so, so perfectly, even in a fallen world. Uh, God sets all the boundaries, all of them. Take comfort in that, this far, no farther. Jesus, our beloved Savior, prayed for Peter. He prayed what? That his faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, that's repentance. He gave hope and gave direction. That's the grace of God. God knew he was going to sin, and the person of Jesus knew he was going to sin. He going to deny him. He said, and when you turn again, when you come to repentance again, then, then lead, your, lead the others. And we see that special visitation at the end of John where Jesus approaches, uh, post-resurrection uh, uh, approaches Peter and restores him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love it. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you know? Three times he restores him. And that's the God we worship. He's a God of grace. He's a God who forgives. Amen? Aren't you glad of that? The zillions of sins that we do? I mean, before salvation, depending on when God found you, and then how about after salvation? And and God forgives us and cleanses us and and fills us with joy to be clean all the way down there is a fountain Raj there is a fountain filled with blood uh, drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all all thank you Lord they're guilty stains because he paid the price for me and for you isn't that great he doesn't just kick us out I would have kicked myself out a long time ago, unusable, get out of here it's like it 's like neighborhood when you're picking teams, you know like you got a motley group of like nine, all right, you 're a captain, you're a captain, and you 're like i'll take him i'll take him, and you're left with a run at the end, right' like, hey, you want him no i don't want him, you know like it's really painful growing up, and they're like he's not, he's worthless you know, okay, I'll give you two for one, and, you know, like, <laughs> You know, I sometimes want on the lineup, the Lord's looking at, I don't want, I don't want him. You know, like, he's going <laughs> to gonna fail all over the place, like Peter. And when you return, when he prayed for you, the you know, Lord prays for us. Isn't that such great news? He prays for me. That's what John tells us. It's so wonderful. Peter has a false sense of pride. I'll never do that. Be careful, guys. Sin is closer than he ever imagined. Jesus said, oh yeah, tonight. Before the, mo- the ro- rooster, would it'd be through the night, that, that kangaroo court we're going to see, and then the rooster would crow in the morning. Some of you grew up on a farm maybe. The rooster's, you know, waking everybody up. Before that, rooster crows three times. This, oh, I can't, I can't imagine that. And then the look. There's Jesus looked at Peter. Well, from now on, to follow me, and he goes on to the end, and we're out of time. Uh, He said, suffering, if you follow me, it will mean suffering. I mean, take a cloak, and take a purse, and take a sword. Danger, there's danger. They killed me, and they may even come for you. Be wise, be smart. There's danger within, in your heart, sinful nature. There's danger in the world, there's danger from Satan. Danger is what he's saying. Our ability to sin runs deep despite your best intention. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. Well, lessons for life number one. It's easy to know who the great people are. Just look for people who are serving in the lowest places. Jesus urges uh, us to join them at the bottom. Uh, will you do that? How many people are you serving? How many? How many? Jesus, others, than you. Remember that acronym that they used to wear, that sometimes the girls would wear that little thing, a necklace, joy. It was joy. You're like, oh, I like that, joy. Well, what does that mean? It, it's, it's my life. I like Jesus, others, and then, and then uh, you. I had to think about that for a minute. The why is you, right? Jesus, others, and you. Oh, would the God that uh, God would give you that mindset, People don't exist for your convenience. You know, we live in that service day. What can you do for me? And if, you know, we we all battle that. Lord, root that out of me. That is not the spirit of Jesus. It reeks. We adjoin at the bottom those who serve. Number two, if you know Jesus, your future is greater than you could ever imagine you have a seat at his table in the administration of his kingdom in a word your future is bright now i don't know if anyone ever said that to you when you're going through school and you sat with the guidance guys like well i don't know i'm looking at these numbers and <laughs> i'm thinking uh, i'm thinking said you know have you ever th- <laughs> i mean probably a few of you said your future looks bright that's what jesus is saying here today is the day of service but in that day We'll rule and reign with him, but not today. But our future's right. Wow. Number three, nothing happens in your life that hasn't already first gone through the loving hands of your heavenly Father. Nothing, nothing touches your life. No phone call, no person, no encounter, no anything. No illness, no anything, really. It's already gone through his finger. He goes, okay, okay. And he promises he'll work it all out for the good. He promised that. And, you know, I pray that way. In the midst of that, I'll be in to some degree or another this week. Lord, you promised to work it out for good. I can't see the good. This looks horrible. And not only that, it's painful. Help. Lord, you promised I'm trusting you. I choose to trust you. Number four, beware of the danger within and without. Danger in them that are hills. The temptation to sin crouches at the door of our heart. Continually, daily, cast yourself upon the Lord. He's praying for you. Don't think you're able to withstand any sin. You're weak, vulnerable, and still have a heart that's bent to sin. I mean, how many stories have I read where a person say, well, that's a sin I don't have to worry about. Oh, don't say that. Oh, my. I've heard pastors say that, and they're, then they end up, they, they lost their family or what? Don't say that. We are so vulnerable. I mean, uh, it's just moment by moment. Uh, God holds us and keeps us, and we're saved forever. Praise God. But be careful, but don't say never like that. Say, but by the grace of God. Number five, and last, Jesus calls all of us to believe upon him, be saved from our sin. The only question is, have you done that? It's a command. God commands all people everywhere to repent and receive Jesus. I urge you to do that today if you never have. Well, General Douglas MacArthur's famous speech. Duter, <laughs> Duter. <laughs> duty, honor, and country. Great words, really. Wonderful words. I encourage you to, to uh, see Taylor. I can blame you because of this thing here, right? <laughs> I got my, my forget it. <laughs> anyway, but the end here, it's getting a little tongue twisted. Sovereignty, greatness, and danger. Three words. How about that? What a farewell address. And he would soon leave, spend hours with his father in prayer, and be crucified for you and for me. Let's stand and be dismissed, shall we? Father, thank you so much for this day and for this wonderful text. And I pray, Father, that the word of God would change every one of us May we love you more and more and live to serve you. Aim for the smaller, lower spot, the most menial, unseen, knowing that you see all things and one day will reward. Oh, Lord, make us a church. Make us a people like that, that are blessed, blissful, happy in Jesus, happy just to, to be saved and to serve, Lord, wherever it might be. And, oh, Lord, may it make a great impact upon people, that wonder what it's all about in life. May you use these things to bring others to Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.